Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Well, the title for this message is, What Does the Lord Require? What Does the Lord Require? Um, well, let me begin with this question. When you think about responsibility, what do you think about? You think about your role and your the things that you do, right? You know, what are the tasks that I need to accomplish? What are the things that I need to do? Uh, you know, what, what, what am I responsible for, right? Maybe some of you have the role of mother or father, or husband, wife, child, student, worker, employer, employee, citizen, coach, player, assistant, administrator, the list goes on. Roles are not merely job titles, but a responsibility to function in a certain capacity. Responsibility also entails relationship. Who should I take care of? Who do I need to take care of? You see, the goal of this sermon is to help you and I to understand what a responsible Christian looks like. What does God require from all of us who believe in him? Is it a good devotional life? Is it a, uh, making sure you check off all the boxes when it comes to uh, religious activity or activity that we, we see each other doing? Does it mean giving a chunk of change to people in need? What does God require from you and from me? And I'm standing before you right now trembling because this passage this morning is deeply important for us. But it is simple, but it is difficult. It's simple to understand, but it's difficult to live out. You see, the most important responsibility role as a follower of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is our relationship with God. And if we ask the Lord on a daily basis, what do you require? You will see more of what is required of you. That, that God actually has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. In Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, I want to start there this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Micah. Micah. After Jonah and before Nahum. Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 7 says this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? It seems like a bunch of rhetorical questions, but it is a bit of a complaint to God because this is the people of Israel. This is the people of Judah. This was a time period where these kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, ruled in Judah. And, and it was during this time that Micah was speaking a message of repentance, a speaking a message of God's judgment. And the people of God... We're wondering, not with a curiosity that was satisfying to God, but a curiosity that was a bit sarcastic. What should I do? Shall I come to him with a thousand rams? You see, the text here says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Is this what is required? 
You know, should I do this religiously? Should I offer up? And many of you know that throughout the Old Testament, the burnt offering was the offering that was sacrificed to God for the forgiveness of your sin. So you actually know that this is something that you need to do. So the people of God back then said, what is it? Do I need to offer burnt offering? A calf with calves a year old? They were used to offer a calf. They were used as an offering since it was a ripe age. It was the tender age to, to sacrifice. It was kind of like the best of the best, right? In verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? This is a figure of speech in order to, to, of a, to a greater quantity of offerings that would please the Lord. I mean, even the dedication of the temple, Solomon offered thousands of rams and cattle, right? I think 22,000. How about uh, uh, 10,000 rivers of oil? Now, common to, uh, to offer this in connection with the grain offering. In the Old Testament, they had the grain offering, but then they were to cover it with oil. But it, it didn't mean that they needed 10,000 rivers of oil. There's a bit of sarcasm here because the, 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 the person, the people of God are trying to understand what God requires, but they're just trying too hard. They're trying too hard. They're trying to please God in such a way as to say, see, I did this. See, I did this. See, do you want 10,000 rivers of oil? Or how about this? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Wow. What's it going to take, Lord? What's it going to take? So maybe we feel like we need to accomplish more for God this morning. Maybe we have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, but we're feeling guilty and, 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 and shameful, not necessarily because of one specific sin or so, but, but more so that you just don't measure up. You and I feel like we just don't measure up to God and his standard. And we're sitting here this morning thinking, what does it require God for you to be pleased with me? if I live my entire life just pursuing what I think pleases God, I'm going to be exhausted at the end of my life. In fact, I'm probably going to be bored. But if I live my life with, with grandeur purpose, with zeal, with passion to know his requirements, then I will be so excited, down on my knees, praying and saying, God, I want to live this way to glorify you no matter what people say and what happens to me. The requirement of God is what our hearts should be seeking for. And it's not terrifying. It's not terrifying. So the main point of this message is this morning is in the next slide here. The big idea is this. You and I need to know what God requires from us in order to experience his good purpose for us. You and I need to know what God requires from us in order to experience his good purpose for us. You see, Israel's focus is on their external religious rites. And those questions show a progression of their, from the lesser to the greater in order for them to find answers. But the answer here this morning from Micah chapter 6 to 8 is really at the heart of the law of God, at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is good? You see in this text, in verse 8, let's go to the next passage. Uh, the Verse 8, it says here, chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And here's the main verse for today's sermon. What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? He has told you, O man, what is good. What do you mean by that? Is this a rhetorical question or is it a reminder what God has already said? What is good? What is good? Well, let's go to the next slide here. This is what is good. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 13 says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? 
but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, what? For your good. So the requirement of God at the very beginning of this verse is the goodness of God for us. It's not a torture test. It's not like, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian. How do I live this life? It's like, I get to follow Christ. I get to follow the Lord. I get to actually now experience the goodness of God as I fear him and not anything else, anyone else in this world. This is what we get to do. The goodness of God is, is, is directly tied to the fact that he requires of us something. What does he require? He requires for us to do justice. The word require of you right here is the Hebrew dores, which actually means to claim as due, demand an account, to investigate. So God is investigating you. God is demanding an account from you, right? What is required of you is to do justice. To do justice. The word do here is the Hebrew word asat, which means to make and to carry out or to perform an act or course of action, to make into effect. Notice it doesn't say love. Because they could have switched it around and said, you know, I want to love justice and do mercy. But why does, why does, why does God require us to do justice? It's because sometimes a lot of us, when we look at the news or you know, look at the challenges around us and we're like, we want justice. We love justice. We want to talk about justice. We want to... <laughs> the hard thing to do is to do justice. Is to actually do what is right before God. The standard is not the world. The standard is not uh, you know whoever is around you. The standard is God's word. The standard is, is his commandment. And it is difficult sometimes to do what is right in the eyes of God. Don't be afraid to do what is right. To do what is right in a world filled with immoral behavior and negligent, uh, a justice system that uh, sometimes is faulty and difficult. Men, we must live. I'm talking to the men here specifically, just for, just for a moment here, okay? More than ever before, we need to fight for what is right. Not with swords, not with spears, not with even piercing words. But we need to fight by doing what is right. We must fight by doing what is right. And the right can be the smallest little thing to the grandest thing. We need to first and foremost determine what is right and wrong. And men, in your family, do you know what is right and wrong? Do you know his word so that you can challenge and encourage and edify and lead your family so that you can say with gentleness and love, this is right, this is wrong. We need to lead this way. We cannot, we cannot forget that God shows us how we should lead. Remember what happened at the beginning when Adam and Eve fell? It was as if, and I don't know if this was, you know, you know, the truth, but, you know, it seemed like he was behind Eve the whole time. When Eve took, the, you know, was talking to the serpent, took a bite of the fruit, he was just hanging out. He didn't go to the front and say, hey, you don't, you don't deserve to say anything in front of my wife. You need to leave right now. That is completely false. Not only is this tempting my wife, this is absolutely wrong in the eyes of God. Men, we need to lead. We have a sissified culture where we think, oh, you know, as long as I, you know, post this on social media or do this or do that. Listen, we need to lead by example, by doing what is right. To do what is right before God. We need to act justly. To act justly. In the next slide here, as we see, um, he has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness 
Justice is also connected to kindness and to walk humbly with your God, with your God. Isaiah 42, verse 1 to 4, specifically says this. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Obviously, a, um, a prophecy of what is to happen, the chosen, the Lord's chosen servant, this is Christ, who is going to establish justice, but not in the way of the nations with violence and with sword and with evil, but actually, justice, according to Christ, is that he would come down and die on the cross. He would give his life as a ransom for many. He sacrificed in the most, in the most loving and passionate way for people. He did justice. There are three ways, I, I think, that I see in the scripture with Jesus giving some three examples, at least here. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 to 14. Let's turn there in your Bibles. We're going to do a little bit of turning here. Matthew 21, verse 12 to 14. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables with the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The den of robbers. Listen very carefully. Jesus is not so much concerned with people insulting him. Jesus is not concerned for about his personal justice. Jesus is concerned about what people are doing to people. Jesus is concerned about people taking advantage of people. And when they come to the temple, they start selling things, jacking up the prices, making sure that you, that, you know, people coming from all over the diaspora, coming to Jerusalem, coming to the temple, and then the, 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 the people are being are being like um, taking advantage, taken advantage of. And Jesus here is saying, how can you do this? So he overturned the money changers. I used to think of this as like, dude, does that mean that whenever I feel that there's something wrong that I should just throw, you know, turn the table over? No. The reason why he did this was because he said, this must stop right now. He didn't say, well, okay, you know, I'm just going to give you a couple of moments to think about, to pray about this. I hope you understand you did wrong. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and um, we'll see you next week. No, listen, Jesus is really clear about this. When he saw injustice, when he saw things that were wrong in God's eyes and in his eyes, he did something about it. So let me ask you, in your sphere of influence, the authority that you have, not to do things out of anger, because the, the, the anger of man never accomplishes the righteousness of God. It's only the anger of God, the true justice of God, that accomplishes his purposes. So just want to ask you a question. How many of you in your sphere of influence have felt, this is wrong, I need to do something about it, but I'm not going to do something out of my own anger. Just a show of hands. You've experienced that before, some of you, right? And this is the point. The point is that Jesus Christ himself, it, he showed anger, but that anger was justified. It wasn't out of revenge. Is it, it wasn't out of like, let me show you my strength. 
It was out of the fact that he was protecting the people that were being abused. And he was telling those who were doing wrong, this needs to stop now. Doing justice. And he also is jealous for his father's glory, right? He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. Your priorities are completely wrong. The second example is Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 12. Let's turn there. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 12. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, that they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace and do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, Dining couches. Oh man, that's 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 a big wash. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, What why do you why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. This is Jesus saying this, right? In order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must, be, must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained for me is Corban, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you have done. Listen, Jesus Christ is so involved in the family. He, he said, you know, the tradition of the elders, the tradition of the, 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 the high priest, the priests, they were saying like, you know what? Listen, we need to, we need to let people know that whatever is given uh, to God, set aside for God, is, is, is only for God. And everything else that I plan to give to my parents, well, you know what? I can just call that Corbin. I can call that like given to God. Oh, yes, I've, I've given mine so that I really can't take care of my parents. Hopefully your RSPs will come through. Hopefully you'll be able to have enough savings when you get older. That's what they were doing. They were disrespecting their parents. They were disrespecting and dishonoring their families. This is God. God requires us to know what is good and to do what is right. Not just for our society, not just for our church, but for our families. Maybe there's some extended family members you're thinking that you really need to help, but because you feel financially squeezed, you need to go out by faith and say, Lord God, how can I love that family member? It doesn't mean you have to please them and meet their expectations, but how can I love them? How can I honor them? How can I say, God, I honor my mother and my father, my family members? And he says, Jesus says here, many things you do that's very similar. That's scary. Do you not think that Jesus is, is, is at the center of his heart, concerned for your family and my family and how we live our lives and how we care for one another? Students, do you not think that God is concerned about how you honor your parents and the way that you live and how you take responsibility in the home? This is justice. This is God saying you must do what is right, not feel right, not think that you're right, not even fight for your rights, but to do what is right. God requires that. And can I remind you, it's not burdensome. It is good. I'm going to get there to the gospel, but just remember that. 
It is good. And then the last passage, Luke 18, verse 1 to 8. Let's turn there. Luke 18, 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to him, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Brothers and sisters, the responsibility is on God. If you are a child of the Lord, if you have faith in him, the responsibility, yes, you must do justice, but ultimately he will provide justice. He is the one who is going to take vengeance. He is the one. That's why it says, leave room for my wrath. Leave room for my vengeance. I will repay, saith the Lord. God at the end is going to repay all wrong. He is going to punish. Let's remember that. Jesus knew that. And he was telling this parable in order for the people to understand that God is a God of justice. So do we need to be afraid? No, we don't. We can fight for what is right and show that the, the world, that there is a right and a wrong. And we can have godly anger. And in many ways, we should also fight for what is right within our family. To do what is right in God's eyes in your family, to honor, to respect, and to hold those things of high, in high regard. Don't lower it. Don't lower it. Raise it up. And let the Lord lead you in what you are to do. So it's, it's not just good to know about justice because knowledge is futile. It's not just good to believe in justice because believing doesn't change anything. But to do justice, it requires an action, a sacrifice, because you and I can make a difference. Remember, it's not about being right. The society, our society, especially as we've gone through some really challenges times in the last two and a half years, asking the question, who is right? Asking the question, where are our rights? But how many of us and how I'm talking to all of the churches around the world is doing right. Like, like we have an opportunity to say, God, I want to do what is right in your eyes. And many of you probably have experienced that in your life, in your heart. I want to do what is right. Even during the pandemic, I just want to do what is right in your eyes, oh God. And you did it by faith. And probably no one really knows in this room but it's between you and the Lord, and praise God. The second point here is this. What does God, the Lord require but to love kindness? Passionately merciful kindness. The word loving here is ava in the, in the Hebrew, which, which, which is to have great affection and loyalty for. It's to love and be passionate about. It's, it's, it's a word that describes what it means to pursue. The word mercy here is the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed means is the covenant-keeping love that God has for his people. But it's described here as what? Kindness. And it's described in other translations as mercy. Mercy and kindness are two sides of the same coin. By loving mercy... It means that you fight for mercy. <laughs> it doesn't mean you fight for mercy to be given to you. It means you fight for mercy so that you can give it to other people. You know, how often do we think that, you know, when we love people, it, 
it, it should be just natural. Oh, if I only feel like it, if I only feel like forgiving that person, or if I only feel like I should have mercy, or if, or if all the stars are aligned and, and the situation is perfect, therefore I should love them and show mercy. I've fallen into that trap. That's not Christian. That's not Christian at all. The world can do that way, to do things that way, right? The way of the cross, the way of God, what does God require of us? To love, mercy, to, to have the predisposition of your heart and your mind so focused on loving other people that you don't care about yourself. We're so, sometimes we're so preoccupied with like ourselves that sometimes we even love people because we love ourselves. Do you, does that make sense? Because we love ourselves so much, we feel like we have a pat on the back and to say, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I showed that love. And, 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 and it, all it does is increase your ego. What is hard, what is difficult is to love your enemies, is to love kindness. It's to have moments where you're trembling and you're saying, I do not feel like I'm kind. I do not want to be kind. I do not want to be merciful. But God, you call me to love. Ahava said to love mercy, to love kindness. Grace is giving someone what they do not deserve. Giving someone what, that, that, that needs it, what they don't deserve. And that's what mercy is too. Mercy and kindness. Let's look at some examples uh, of Jesus here. Little children. Matthew 19, verse 13 to 15. I won't turn there, but Jesus, uh, he, he sees uh, uh, the, the crowd and the crowd brings the children to him. And, and his disciples are trying to say, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But Jesus, he's let, let the little kill children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God, for the, such as these. And, and the thing is that when, when Jesus says that, he says this because he understands the importance of compassion towards children. And in, in those days, they probably thought children were a bit more of an annoyance. Oh, yeah, they're, they're immature. But Jesus... Loved the little children. How can the, the love and kindness of Jesus transform the way that you view people in this world? Second passage is Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 to 34. And when they went up to Jericho, a great crowd followed them. And behold, there were two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. Show kindness on us, Jesus. And stopping, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, the same word for compassion, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Have mercy on us. Jesus Jesus, in the way that he showed compassion and mercy, knew that there was a need and knew that that need needed, that need needed to be met. And that, that person who was crying out shouldn't just be avoided. Okay, I'm just going to turn my ear. Hopefully I'm not listening to this because I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I got to take care of the kids. I got to go take the, you know, I've got so much to do at work. I'm so busy in ministry. I got to do this. I got to do it. Just hopefully I don't hear this. What's God's priority? 
It doesn't mean you should stop and do everything for everyone who has a need. But when the Spirit of the Lord moves us to do something, just as God, just as Jesus Christ himself was moved, and it says he had pity. Go do something, right? I was just uh, about two months ago, um, received a phone call from uh, a lady who works as the building manager for um, a couple of metro housing co-op uh, buildings in, in East Mississauga. And she was on the phone and she was in tears and she told me, I'm a believer, but I, I, I want to tell you, like, I, right now I'm, I'm just so close to being so discouraged about my faith because all I see is the violence, all I see in my community right now is darkness. It's just evil. It's just the heaviness. The mental health issues are just covering over every single building. And and he and she she said she said this. She said, Andrew, like I I I know that the cops are coming in and out, but those are the only people they see, this whole community. And I asked her, I said, what about other churches or what about other community like uh, uh you know groups? What about like nonprofit organizations? Have they come? Say, no, throughout the pandemic, no, nobody. And then she brought me into this room about half the size of this auditorium and it was this beautiful space for uh for for the community and it was empty and she said can you pray that maybe your church would start a program here to help this community to reach out just reach out because they are in so desperate need of of love of kindness, and, and ultimately the love of God. And I can tell you this, when I, when I heard that and when I was talking to her, I was a little bit um, afraid. You know why? It's because I know how things are in churches and how things go. And sometimes things take time, right? Things take time to do, it takes time to do. And uh, I was concerned that I would actually not be able to respond to her in the right time because, like, I still have to bring it to my elders. I have to talk to, to, to the church about it. But in my heart, I knew one thing. God did not allow for that conversation to happen just out of chance. And whether it's five months from now, whether it's a year from now, I will be patient to see God work and we need to love kindness let's not forget people let's not forget and i know pastor jason has just been telling me about uh, this thing you guys have been doing about reach the city continue to do what you're doing love kindness love mercy some of you might think i'm tired i'm exhausted it's okay god will give you the strength he will give you the strength in Nehemiah's time with the mortar and the sword, do you think they were exhausted with Sanballat, Tobias constantly shouting and jeering at them? Don't you think they were exhausted? God will give the strength if you obey him. God will give you the strength to love kindness more than what you ever expected. God will give you the strength to do that. Moved with compassion. Do not weep. Luke 17, verse 11 to 17. Says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And he's, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus Master, have mercy on us. Then he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when they saw he had saw that he had healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Jesus, in his concern and his kindness, And uh, in another passage, I must stay at your house. I must stay at your house. This is actually, sorry, this is not uh, Matthew 9, verse 37 to 30, 35 to 37. It's actually Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. You know this story. It's very familiar to me because it's, 
it's a perfect story for short guys. I mean, um, so Zacchaeus, he goes, climbs up a tree. I would never do that. It's so embarrassing. But he did that, right? He did that, and then Jesus sees him, and he, and he says, today I want to come to your house. Uh, he didn't say, let me spend, you know, a few minutes with you, chatting with you. He said, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to spend time with you. Out of all the people, he probably very important people on the ground, taller people on the ground. But then that short guy who goes up on the tree, like he wants to spend time with him. Why do you want to spend time with a tax collector? One who actually like, you know, disregards people, stole a lot of their money. Like, why do you want to do that, Jesus? Because he loved kindness. Because he loved mercy. Because he was concerned about Zacchaeus. And we need to be like Jesus. We need to be concerned about the things and the people that are not, not in our circle. We need to do that. John 4, verse 4 to 14. Will you give me a drink? You know this story very well. The Samaritan woman, on the twelfth hour, the heat of the day, goes to the well and Jesus asks her for a drink, and, and, then, and then he goes on in the conversation to know her and to, and to teach her the way of worship, which is in spirit and in truth. To help her to understand something that many other people probably didn't know at that point. And yet he freely gave that truth to her. He loved her. He cared for her, even in her sinfulness. You see, are we tempted to write off the culture, to cancel the culture? I'm not talking about cancel culture. I'm talking about are we trying to cancel the culture because culture cancels us? Does that make sense? We're, we, are we so like kind of like they are there, you know, the LGBTQ communities there, the whatever person or, you know, whatever they struggle is with there, is over there. Unless they come into our church, then I'll have a conversation. Listen, brothers and sisters, we cannot cancel the culture. Christ calls us to the culture. Christ calls us to go to the culture and to preach the good news, to do justice, to love mercy. We must go do that. We are not a church that wants to stay stagnant. God calls us to those things. Even if the culture cancels us, are we going to cancel them? Finally, what does the Lord require but to walk humbly? And that's delight, devotion. The word walking humbly mentions many times in the New Testament about walking. I think of this illustration is that when I'm, if I ask someone to come up here on the stage to walk with me from here to there, it's not too far, right? I can do that. I mean, but if you ask a tall guy to walk with me for 10 kilometers, it's more of a run. For me, at least. But that's what it means. To walk humbly with God means keeping up with him. It means to keep up with him humbly. It means that no matter what, you are going to walk with God, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is in life, you want to walk with God humbly. And that means total dependence and reliance on God. You know, the, the, the other day I was thinking about this, just this thought came to my mind. Is it so inconvenient for me to get off my phone and, 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 to, and stop watching Netflix in order to open the Word of God? Oh no, Andrew, in my mind I'm thinking, you need your time, you need your relax, you need to kick up your feet, you need to buy some takeout and enjoy. Listen! I'm not saying we should be religious zealots to say, hey, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do this to the best of my ability to follow God. But you and I need to know that God is with us and for us and always around us. So we need to know that he is, he is requiring for us, requiring of us to walk daily with him, to trust in him, to know that he is good, to actually live in such a way that is 100% dedicated to him. It, it, it requires us to think 
you know, like God is not just there when it's convenient. When, when we have the time in the morning to do our devotion, when we have time to do prayer, when we have come to prayer meeting, God is not a convenient God. He is a holy God. He is who we follow and he deserves all of our honor and our respect. And he deserves, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, therefore by the mercies of God, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your whole being. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that when, when you walk humbly with God, it means you have to religiously and also like legalistically say you have to do certain things. No, it should be out of a heart of love for God. Out of a heart of love for him. Is your love for God growing? So your time on Netflix is reducing. Is your love for God growing so that the things that you choose to do and say, it, it, it means something more? Yeah. The time that you spend each day, is it, out of a, is it a reflection of your love for God? Or is it a reflection of your love for things? Here's uh, one example to walk humbly with our God. Some examples here, Enoch and Jonah. Enoch and Jonah, sorry, Enoch, Enoch and Noah, not Jonah. <laughs> Enoch and Noah walked humbly with the Lord. They were righteous and blameless. David in 1 Kings 3 verse 6 was a man after God's own heart. He walked with God. Jehoshaphat walked in the path of David, which was a path of righteousness, not serving other idols. In 2 Chronicles 17, verse 2 to 4. And Josiah walked in the path of righteousness. Even as a boy, uh, he walked in the right, uh, pathway of righteousness. And I believe he was 20 years old when he took the Ashtaroth and all those idols made out of, made out of metal, and he threw it away. He walked in the eyes of the Lord and he walked righteously. He walked righteously. And here's my final point as we close. This points to the gospel. What is required for us? It is to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So what is required at the beginning is good. And what was required is for us to fear God, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10 to 12. It specifically says that. But in this case as well, in the New Testament, what is good? The gospel. The gospel is good because justice was satisfied. Justice was satisfied because when God sent his own son, he poured out his wrath. He poured out his punishment on, 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 on his own son for all who believe. So that those who come to him will have absolutely no excuse. And then they will have to one day stand before a holy God and they will have to answer, do you know my son? Justice was satisfied at the cross. Loving kindness was realized. Realized. This is amazing. I'm just going to read this to you really quickly here. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4 to 5 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. It's the loving kindness of God that is realized at the cross. Christ died for you. You don't deserve his love, but he gave it to you. Do you receive it? Do you believe it? Do you actually Turn to him for the forgiveness of your sin because he loves you so much. And then finally, relationship was actualized. Relationship was actualized. I'm just going to read this to you. Chapter 23, verse 44 to 46. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having this, said this, he breathed his last. The temple 
curtain. Between the area where the gathered to the area of the Holy of Holies was torn because now there is full access. Christ has now provided us through his death this access to God that we did not have. We had to go through a priest before, had to go through sacrifice, and had to go through yearly sacrifice. But now we have the Lamb of God slain for our sin, and we now have access to a holy God. Uh, the relationship is actualized. And that's the reason we can walk humbly with God. That's the reason why we can love kindness is because of the gospel. That's why we can do justice is because the justice of God is provided for us in Christ Jesus. We have an example in Jesus to live the way that God requires us to live. So let me pray for you now as we close that we would live this way, that we would understand the requirement of God, that it is good. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the, we have the motivation, the mandate, and the proper expectation to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Lord, I just pray that as we as we as we ponder upon these truths, Lord, that it would become more and more of a reality. I know that we live in a world that shames us or makes us feel guilty for what we do, what we don't do or what we I don't know. I mean, it's so confusing these days, Lord. But, but Lord God, there is no, no confusion in Micah. There's no confusion in Micah 6 verse 8. It's just hard. But Lord, I know there are families and, and probably, uh, you know, uh, friends here at this church that are just yearning and longing to continue to live this way. Or maybe some of us who really just need to repent and say, Lord, I, I, I've been doing things the wrong way. I've been uh, loving justice and trying to uh, be right. But Lord, I, I just want to do what is right in your eyes. Maybe some in this room uh, maybe just have a, a glimpse of uh, loving kindness. But they're not doing things that are kind just because, uh, you know, because they love you. But because, Lord God, uh, they, may, they may just feel justified to do it. But Lord, I pray that they would love kindness, that things would change in their lives. And finally, Lord, I just pray for a humble heart to walk with you. That when we seek you with all of our heart, that we're not saying that you are just there only for our convenience, only for us, only to change our situation. No, we are here for you. We follow you. We walk with you. We chase you. We follow you. We walk humbly with you, God. So teach us what that means. Or bring us into this week changed and transformed, renewed and encouraged, and help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.